Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. All right. I'm Rich Schmidt. I'm here with David and Jean Beck. We're at Crawford Beck Vineyard in Amity. Uh, it's December 3rd, 2019. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Um, let's start with the most important question of all, which is why wine? Wine, wine. We have lots of stories to tell you, Rich. Um, and, and, and all of this really comes about a series of stories. Uh, the first story I'm going to start um, is um, we met we, in, a, in a previous life, we were uh, scientists. We met in graduate school um, in 1966. And it happened, there's a point of telling you that, because it happened at that time that one of the few things that we did outside of graduate school, we were you know, totally immersed in, in our research and our programs. Um, uh, one of the things we did outside that, one of the few things we were able to was was um, indulge a, an interest that I'm not sure exactly how it began, but uh, in wine. We lived in Baltimore. Uh, we were not far from um, Washington, D.C., and uh, time-wise, maybe 45 minutes down the Baltimore-Washington Expressway. Um, and then that took us to a, a wine store because there weren't, in those days, very many wine stores. Now we're used to a wine store everywhere or, or a wine source uh, everywhere. But uh, then there was very little information, uh, uh, well, certainly information, but little uh, sources for wine. You know, liquor, for sure, but uh, not much on wine. And so in Washington, there was a wine store named uh, Central Liquors. It's actually still there. Um, and uh, we could go down and uh, buy wine uh, very inexpensively. It was very near the Embassy Row, and, uh, and so the people who primarily uh, frequented that store were the international um, uh, community in, in, uh, in Washington, D.C. And we could buy, for a few dollars, wine now that would cost us hundreds of dollars if we were uh, to, you know, to find it, to be able to find it. Uh, and so we experimented. Uh, with wine then, and we both liked it. We both enjoyed the idea of, of finding wines that worked with food and finding the wines that we liked and finding wines that we didn't like. And, and, uh, and it, was not an inexp not, it was not an expensive um, uh, avocation that, that um, uh, took us, uh, pro provided some uh, perhaps relief from, uh, you know, from the, the um, dense intensity of, of our, our graduate, uh, graduate work. And so uh, we experimented with a lot of wine, and from there got to, um, uh, uh, as, as our careers unfolded, did a lot of traveling, um, especially as Jean's career unfolded. She ended up doing quite a lot of traveling because of the nature of her research. And uh, so we experimented with wine from all over the world and found that the, the, the grape that we really liked best was Pinot Noir and, of course, Chardonnay, and that we liked um, uh, French Pinot, but Pinot from other places, Tasmania, you name it, from, uh, from all over the places. Um, and uh, so wine just became a, a natural avocation for us. And, and, and I can't remember a time in our married life when we weren't 
in, interested in wine where we didn't have wine around uh, or, or even even when we were poor we had a, a little wine cellar you know to, to keep um, to keep us uh, stocked um, and so it's always been a part of our our married life for sure mm -hmm. and for the longest time I actually had the original bottle the first bottle of wine I ever had I had a, had the, the empty bottle mm -hmm. um, now I can't find it I don't know where it is but it was a German um, Riesling, I think, but um, you remember we used to have it no. sitting around somewhere. I, I don't know where it is. Maybe I'll find it. Maybe it's in a box in the barn. So that's partly an answer to why wine. Um, now, how we got here is another story. And Jean's, Jean tells that story much better than I do, because so, she was the she was the, uh, the the cause of it. So we came here in 2005. It was August of 2005 for a scientific meeting in Portland. And um, uh, we had, uh, this is the first time we had been in Oregon. So we decided to investigate the valley. Mm -hmm. and Naturally Pinot Noir. Yes. <laughs> of course. And um, so after the meeting was over, we went to Cherry Hill Winery because they had these cabins where you could stay and they would let you work in the vineyard. So we spent, what, two or three days mm -hmm. down three, at Cherry days, Hill yeah. working in the vineyard and just getting an idea of what it was like. Well, that created a lot of problems. When we went home... We cap uh, it captured us immediately. Oh, it did. Um, and at that point, we had been in science for 40-some years. Yeah, and, 40 years. Um, and so it was spending time our time to searching for money to you know feed our oh. habit, so to speak. Uh, writing grants, yes. Writing, writing grants, yeah, writing, writing grants. Writing grants. That's another story we'll get into. Yeah. Um, and so we went home, and um, what, this was the end of August. So by September, David found a real estate agent, um, yeah, Lisa Neal, mm -hmm. and uh, Cordeter. There's a point of telling you that. Yeah. We'll explain that, go ahead. And uh, the first thing she did was to, uh, what, she spent quite a lot of time making sure that this was, that you really knew what you she were going actually, to get into. In a, and one hour convert telephone conversation, she tried to persuade me not to do this, mm -hmm. not to come out here, not to get involved in the industry. She yeah. really wanted to, wanted to tell us that it's not, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not a. Um, it's not something that's a, a, that one does without knowing mm -hmm. what one's getting into. Mm -hmm. So she actually tried to persuade me. She, put, yeah. you know, she said, "You really don't want to do this, do you?" And I, after she couldn't persuade us, then. Uh, and this was this was early September, and she found some properties, and um, one was this property, which was not on the market. Um, and what you saw it in October, I saw it in November, we bought it in December, and uh, we moved out here in February. In February. Wow. February of, 2nd. February 2nd of 06. Of 2006. So the, the, the thing that was going on here was that um, this vineyard was, was established by a, um, actually a, a NASA engineer or a NASA contractor, uh, engineering contractor, um, and was involved in lots of space stuff and so forth. And, and he tried to do the entire thing by himself. And 
Um, and it was tough. Uh, it was clearly tough. And I know that uh, from trying to do a lot of it myself, I can tell you that he was probably as it got bigger and the vines got mature, it, it got, he got in over his head. And so he was having trouble keeping up with it. And I guess this the rumor spread around that there were some problems. Although, the, as, as Jean said, the, the, uh, the vineyard was not on the market. It wasn't listed anywhere. But uh, basically, um, Lisa, uh, Lisa Neal showed us the vineyard. Um, uh, and we made an offer that he couldn't refuse, I suppose. So, um, that's how we ended up here. And the and vineyard at that time was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. So we knew we couldn't buy land and plant it, and we wanted to get going. Mm -hmm. So we needed something that was already. We also knew um, pretty quickly that we didn't really want to make wine. And the reason we didn't want to make wine was not because we were trained as chemists. We, were, you know, we would love to do that kind of thing. It would be wonderful science. Um, but we decided that uh, it really wasn't, um, if you make wine, you've got to do one more thing. And that's you've got to sell the stuff. We could drink it. We could do that part of it. But selling it is really, really hard work. And, and watching how, uh, how hard our clients work selling the wine that they make from the grapes from this vineyard. Um, I, we made the right decision because that is by far the hardest work. Growing grapes, tough. Making wine, tough. Selling it, virtually impossible, uh, at least from my perspective. So um, uh, we have the best of all worlds in the sense that uh, we can grow the grapes. We sell them to some very high-end wineries. Uh, they make really high-quality wine. And we can get the wine back at favorable growers' prices, and we don't have to sell uh, anything beyond that. Um, so it's um, the this vineyard needed. Um, how do I want to say it? Some TLC, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and. From the very beginning, um, even before we did our due diligence, uh, it was pretty clear that this vineyard had a, 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 shall we say, a privileged site. It has a wonderful micro terroir throughout the vineyard that is not that is varies from one block to the other, and it was the vineyard was competently planted. Uh, we did all of our you know appropriate due diligence about the soils and the vines and and the usual kind of things one does. Um, uh, so it was clear, and so as a result of that, the, the vineyard, when it began to produce, had never not been sold. The grapes were always in demand, mm -hmm. uh, and so we've never actually had trouble selling the grapes, even in the down years, even when in the surplus years, even in the, the years that were what you would call a um, you know, buyer's market. Uh, we've really never had any difficult the, the grapes have never gone unsold, mm -hmm. uh, and they've always been sold to um, what I would call the, the, the highest and the best, the best wineries in the, uh, in the valley. Um, uh, so we, get, we put a lot of TLC in the vineyard over the next couple of years, and, uh, and it's now you know, in very high, very, very in excellent condition. Mm -hmm. uh, the grapes, the trellis, the, 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 whole, the whole infrastructure. And so we went from a, well, I went from a, probably a thousand square foot laboratory to 15 acres of laboratory. And that's the way we view it. It's, it's our science project or whatever. That's a, that's a good thing to, to make note of. It, for us, this is a laboratory. It is, we are content, yes. continuously learning from it Continuous and about improvement, it. yes, yes. Um, uh, we track everything. Yeah. <laughs> 
Gene, Gene is an absolute <laughs> data hound. And so at some point um, when, we, uh, when we, are, we are old and gray, we're not there yet. <laughs> um, you know, maybe the archives will get a whole lot of data from, uh, from us um, because Jean just tracks everything. She's got weather records that Greg Jones, all, Jean has already shared all the weather records for the past 14 years with Greg. Um, she has um, all the harvest data, um, all the um, uh, phenology data, all the, the, the dates of, um, of um, bloom and bud break and you name it, uh, that, all that stuff, uh, Gina's cataloged, cataloged exhaustively. So that's just to tell you that that's the way we approach the vineyard, the approach doing this, uh, what, we, what we've done. Now this, that we're now just talking about the vineyard. There's lots more to talk about that's going on here. And so um, the vineyard is not the only thing that we're doing here. Uh, but if we we'll, could go we'll back to a moment go, yeah. to Lisa, when oh, yes, we I were working with yeah. Lisa, one of the things she said to us is, you should take the classes at Chemeketa. And, uh, you know, she put us in touch with a, our accountant we're still using, the bank and so forth. But it was key to her that we go to Chemeketa. Mm -hmm. And we did, and we took we classes took every, there for probably three years. Or, yes, yeah. And business classes, too, which were incredibly helpful because mm -hmm. um, we had not done business, the business and Interestingly it. enough, at the same time that we were at Chemeketa, uh, a number of other people uh, who were buying in at exactly the same time, uh, folks who are, who are, whose names are now well known in the industry because they have um, uh, they've established their vineyards and their wineries, um, they were, they were going through the program with us and so those people remain um, oh we uh, still we still very, very we're good friends, friends and we talk about lab what yeah. it was like and uh, yeah. yeah so uh, Lisa uh, was a very a key part of, of getting us started she's not doing the real estate stuff anymore she's you know busy with her own wine operation but um, uh, the fact that she uh, could make connections for us with, you know, all of the critical things, the bank, the lawyer, the, the accountant, uh, <laughs> sold us the property, um, and then, and in the process, uh, we uh, it kind of introduced us uh, uh, to a lot of other folks, mm -hmm. including when we were sorting grapes at, at her winery, their, oh, her nascent winery in those yes, days. First, uh, first we were harvest. standing on the, on the sorting line, uh, you know, with, with a lot of people that we got to know. So um, she figures prominently um, in, in our... In our transition. Uh, in our transition, right. <laughs> we're very, not using, good, we well aren't said. using the R word. We do not use the big R, capital R word. We, we say refocused and refinanced. Mm -hmm. uh, just because we moved on from our scientific careers to another career, we don't, we don't, uh, <laughs> in fact, we are spending more time working harder than we ever did before, but we absolutely love it. And so um, when, you know, Gene will tell you um, that um, if I can't get out in the vineyard or I can't get on the tractor or something like that, I start to get antsy because I want to get out there. I want to do stuff out there. Um, and there's always something to do, too. So Well, and, and one of the key things I think about this career is it's physically challenging and mentally challenging. Yeah. And that's, that's critical. As you're aging, that's vital. So this is, this is, it's worked well. So that's 
why wine, and that's how we got here, um, and that's how we made the transition from, uh, and I don't mean this uh, uh, literally from science that is doing scientific research mm -hmm. to the science of the laboratory, of this gigantic laboratory now, of this vineyard. And um, um, our journey has taken us through the education at Chemeketa, um, introduced us to a lot of, um, a lot of interesting and, and, and new people. Um, many of the folks um, that you've interviewed and many of the people who are you know, now prominent folks in the, uh, in the wine industry came from somewhere else. There are very, very few people who are actually um, here. There were natives and, of course, very few who are really, um, um, you know, be, I mean, there are some folks who, you know, were farmers in, in other areas and began to, and got into the, uh, the wine industry, but most of us came from outside the area. Um, and um, we, uh, we've, we find some of those people with their varied backgrounds uh, to be fascinating. Um, not to mean, not to mention, not, not to su suggest that we don't find the people who we got to know in the Chemeketa business programs who were from the grass seed industry and they were, they were, um, they were um, poultry raisers and cattle and cherry people. Oh, and, yes, and uh, all of these hazelnut. Things. Hazelnuts, Hazel, yes. yes, they were so interesting to, to see how they were struggling with their section, ag, their ag sector compared to, and, and how, you know, comparing notes with how we were, we were, you know, struggling and were getting to learn what we were doing and so forth. So um, uh, that, you know, that um, community that we, we, uh, we got into was uh, really uh, helped us along the way. Uh, we learned a lot from it. The other key thing about the wine industry here, and we'll talk to we'll talk later on about how it's changing. But the original time, as we were when we were getting here, the, a, a critical feature of the wine industry was how collaborative, how um, how mm. um, uh, she, how she, how willing how willing people were were to share equipment, information, knowledge, um, pointers, um, everything. You name it, and so that really resonated very strongly with us, and and we try to keep that going. Um, again, we'll come back to that because I think that is changing. I think the industry is evolving, but um, um, that was also a key part of the of the uh, of our shall we say our success uh, uh, in meeting the challenges of learning how to do this, uh, learning how to how to. Um, Grow grapes, and how to sell grapes, and how to um, uh, how to how to build a brand. Actually, I think that that's a, a critical thing uh, for us. The Crawford Beck brand is uh, now uh, uh, is now well enough recognized that our our clients put our names on the labels. Um, um, we have right right at this moment four single vineyards, and over the history, we probably had a dozen or more different single vineyards made from from this single vineyard wines made from, from this vineyard. And uh, that's part of um, uh, our goal for this place, is to build a brand for it. Um, and it's one that people will recognize. So I'm gonna back up for just a moment here sure. and talk about before wine. Uh, just sort of curious, your scientific work, what, what were you doing uh, in, in the laboratory before you moved into this laboratory? 
You should start. I'll with start. NIH. We, were, we were doing some fairly arcane stuff about how how cells grow and and um, how their membranes form. Um, uh, we did uh, graduate work at Hopkins and then went off to Boston to do postdoctoral work and then um, Gene joined the faculty at Hopkins and I, and I went into a, a research institute. And then I, I, I moved to the dark side. I became a scientific administrator um, and uh, ran uh, some research institutes, both, um, uh, both in New York and then in, in New Jersey. Um, and Gene uh, followed the academic, the classic academic uh, route. Um, she can tell you more about it, but she was on. Uh, all, of our, all of our work was primarily in the, the medical school, medical arena. Uh, mm -hmm. medical research, biomedical research arena. Um, uh, and so I was a, I, I became an administrator and had a, a research institute that I, that I ran. Um, Gene's research was? Uh, at the end? Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, yeah. At the end, um, I was lucky enough to be involved with the Human Genome Project, which was terribly exciting for me because I got to travel uh, and that's where <laughs> uh, one of those trips was to yes. Portland Oregon yeah yes but uh, uh, the the human genome project and also uh, we were involved because uh, what we what was at the Institute it was a cell bank mm -hmm. and so the one of the uh, many uh, emphasis we had was on human genetic diseases. So I was uh, involved in a breast cancer collaborative project that brought in the Canadians, the New Zealand, people from New Zealand, people from Australia, and of course the U.S. Um, and that was exciting. That was breast and colon. And then of course the Human Genome Project that we uh, had the samples. We kept the samples there. And uh, I was lucky enough to go to China and to Japan because part of the work was we would, uh, we would collect the blood, which uh, we then uh, made a, a cell line from which we could uh, study, get, the, study yes, the get the DNA. And um, once the people had provided the samples, I got to go back to those countries and talk about what we had done with it and, and how successful it had been. Wow. And it was so exciting for me, I think. And we developed a lot of collaborations mm -hmm. with some places, you know, the wine wasn't so great. <laughs> <laughs> well, on the other hey, hand, New Zealand was on great. The other hand, when, Australia. Whenever was Gene's great. Australian collaborators would come here or Gene oh, would yes. go to Australia, there was always wine involved in the exchange, yes. you know, and yes. so there was a lot of, uh, you know, we didn't ever get really too far from that we particular sharing. component, yes. always sharing wine. Yes, yeah. that was cool. Yeah. So. Uh, and some of the people, things that Gene collected um, were primate samples. Um, oh yes, uh, worked a lot with you, people in Africa. That could you be used for um, studying human diseases and uh, and the diseases ranged everything from 
breast cancer genes, but done a lot of work with on, in breast cancer, but other genetic diseases. Um, I think there was a Canadian family that was extended family, hundreds of people that had uh, Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's, and, yes, uh, early Alzheimer's. Yeah, yes. and then in uh, in. Um, in Italy, um, oh, on, yes. on Sardinia, there was a, an extended family where, where people lived. This was this in this case wasn't a disease, but where the people uh, routinely lived to be a hundred and or more years yep. old. And the question is, why does that happen? Why this? You know, why there? Why this family? What was what was it about their genes? All of these kind of things. Genes collected these samples, and and her laboratory made um, uh, made. Uh, cell lines from them that can then be studied and used for um well and and one of the other when you said about italy one of the other things was um uh, the institute where we were was the first to actually set up a stem cell bank mm -hmm. so here we are in new jersey we've got a stem cell bank and lo and behold you ended up setting uh setting up one in milan in milan right yeah so it was, you know, so we oh, had to you go, have to we go, had to, go to we had to go to Milan. Tough work, but you know. Uh, Barolo. Barolo, exactly. <laughs> wine, 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 always involved. Right? Nebbiolo, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, that's a snapshot of the, of the research that we, we had were fun. doing. Um, yeah. it, was, it was a good life. It was definitely a, a fun career, to be without question. But one, we were constantly looking for funding for you know for the collecting, funding for the research, funding for the laboratories, and so. Um, and Jean is an expert writer. I mean, she could turn out a 500-page grant application uh, in in well, I would no. say in no time flat. <laughs> no. But, you know, yeah. No, but we. But uh, we swore we would never do that again. Guess what? We have. <laughs> yes, several times yeah. <laughs> trying to get money here. Yeah, so. I mean, one of the first things we did when we moved here was uh, we, uh, we, we probably can come back to this, uh, Rich, later, but uh, yeah, our philosophy is, is to, work, to live and, uh, and farm as sustainably as possible. And one of the first things we did was that we've got to get you know, some solar panels in, in here. And, you know, and so we, we did. Uh, we wrote, Gene wrote a grant application to the um, USDA, USDA yeah. um, in fact, grant application to uh, f get funding for our solar panels. And so outside um, our panels that actually produce more power than we consume, it can produces 100% of our power, but actually more than 100%. And so we, we turn back every year, 10% uh, or so of, of the power that we produce goes back into the grid for and it's used for you know people who can't afford to pay their electric bills and stuff like that. Um, uh, so you know we we never we we surprised ourselves we didn't get all that far away from writing grant applications. And, uh, no. And there have been other things that, that we've done along the way. But um, tell me tell me about this about the scientific transition from laboratory work that kind of work to having your own outdoor laboratory, but 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 in a very different way. Tell me about the the the, the, the the similarities and differences between what you're doing before and what you're doing now. Well, I'll I'll, I'll start with a couple of things. So, as for grad our graduate programs, Jean was studying yeast. <laughs> what a what a you know. Who would have thought? Who would have uh, thought? Who, who would have thought? Um, and I was studying a bread mold, uh, and so these are um, you know so these are uh, uh, microorganisms that we're not too far away from uh, here. Um, 
then we got into that in, into the human side later on. But um, uh, as we as 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 you're trying to understand what's going on in the vineyard, if you don't know about molds and fungi, um, you know you're you're lost. So um, that that carried over very nicely. Um, but science, whether regardless of what kind of science you're doing, uh, whether it's biology or chemistry or physics, it's all about data. It's all about information. It's all about tracking and managing and understanding the systems you're working with. And, um, and that really is, and I, I will tell you that um, Gene can run circles around me with, uh, you know, with uh, statistics and, and uh, data management programs and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, one of the things, that's why I, I said to you earlier, uh, one of the things that we have is, is, a, is a phenomenal level of documentation about what goes on here. So we didn't really get very far away from the... Um, the, you know, the, that, that scientific component. Well, and, and we've been very lucky to uh, have collaborations with Walt Mahaffey at OSU, Patty Skinkus, mm -hmm. Von Walton. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, anytime they've got and, a project, uh, we... And some we, scientists at Linfield, too. Um, Linfield we'll back to and, and George Fox. Yeah, yeah so we have... Um, this is keeping us active, which is really exciting, you know, and... Yeah. And we're learning in the process, and um, and I think it's exciting to see. Well, we'll get to the wine board at some point, but it's exciting to see the that the research that's done in the wine industry, and how it can how uh, it can benefit us, and mm -hmm. how it has benefited us. There are lots of things to talk about, but maybe we should, since we're on the research issue right now, maybe we should just talk about that for a second. Absolutely. Just because um, uh, we, we believe that the world is not going to advance very far without a lot of research, um, that, that, you know, whether it's um, health or nutrition or you name it, I mean, just about everything that, that goes on. I mean, all of your equipment comes out of, you know, research that came out of... Um, military and space research or something like that, um, the chemistry uh, behind the batteries, the, um, the, the, um, the, the electronics and so forth, everything comes out of, of a research background and, and by, without any doubt and by it's the same, in this, the exact same way, what's going out, out, on, out in the vineyard, um, we, we'll, we'll, we won't know, learn how to grow grapes um, as climate, as the climate changes, we won't know how to grow, um, uh, we won't know how to fight the diseases that afflict the grapes, uh, either in general or as the climate changes, without research. And so um, uh, the, the, the need for research is you know, deeply embedded in us. Um, the, uh, the rationale for pursuing and funding research um, is, is nothing more to us than, um, than self-preservation and self-improvement. <laughs> So uh, very early on in the second in in the second year, 2007, I got involved in the uh, the research committee for the uh, Oregon Wine Board, um, uh, and of course all along, Gene is you know is is doing you know is is doing the the, the research of managing you know the data and understanding what's going on in the vineyard, um, and so we really didn't leave the research uh, community and the research enterprise, the research mind. Uh, uh, at all, um, and and um, 
as a result of, of my interest in, the res in, in viticulture research uh, for, with the wine board, um, um, well, at one point, I have whatever point I was, I ended up in about 2009 as a member of the wine board, and I served on the wine board for seven years. Um, and uh, before that, I chaired the, the, the research committee, and then uh, afterwards, uh, after I left the board, um, uh, I remained vice chair of the research committee, um, and uh, to you know, just to encourage the program. And it was it's key to note that one of the things in my background, I, I said earlier, I, I went to the dark side. Well, I I went into a science administration, and one of the places that I that I did science administration was at the National Institutes of Health. Uh, and when I was there, I had a um, I was uh, uh, responsible for administering a three hundred million dollar program in human genetic diseases. So um, and so I knew I knew how I knew grantsmanship. I knew how to to do manage grants. I knew how to manage uh, research programs. Programs as a as an enterprise. So bringing that with me to the wine board, I'm not beating my chest. I'm just telling you it just it just worked out well. Bringing that that ex, that expertise to the wine board to uh, strengthen and build and 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 um, shall we say formalize the research programs that were to a way in a way that would maximize the amount of money uh, that the industry could afford to put into uh, research. Um, uh, was was a natural fit, and and uh, and so um, I'm still involved in that to this day. And, and uh, along the way, Gene and I have done a lot of research programs here, a lot of research projects here. Um, one with uh, fighting um, um, phylloxera. We had some own rooted grapes that um, oh, were, right. were that had phylloxera, and and uh, we fought those with some some. Doing some some research uh, experiments on on various um, with, insecticides with Patty Skinkus and um, with Patty Skinkus um, and, and, we, Von uh, and Von yes. Walton. Uh, we uh, we got involved in a spotted wing Drosophila project with Von Walton. Um, uh, we got involved with um, a really important one for the wine industry, and that's the um, spore trapping uh, project that Walt Mahaffey did uh, at OSU, mm -hmm. and we were one of his beta test sites for his. Uh, equipment and we had a we have a laboratory in our barn where we were doing uh, his uh, his um, assays for trapping uh, uh, powdery mildew spores. Um, um, what else? I've, I must have forgotten some others. Well, now it's red blotch. Oh, now, now, now we're the big involved thing in red, red blotch. blotch. Uh, we have our own. Red blotch assay running here. Um, thanks to uh, Bob Martin. <laughs> uh, thanks to Bob Martin at uh, at OSU slash USDA. Um, we uh, um, we are uh, have been on um, uh, stake what they call stakeholder panels uh, for some big federal uh, projects. Uh, one with brown marmorated stink bug, and now currently uh, one with. Um, the spotted lanternfly, which is yet not not yet a big issue here, but could easily become a big issue here. Um, uh, oh, and the uh, the one in block one, spur and, and oh, cane oh, pruning. Oh, yes, yes. Um, uh, we we really wanted to spend some time studying the the, the nature of of 
uh, pruning vines and how what alternatives there were uh, to pruning vines. And this one is called spur pruning versus cane pruning, and uh, and that takes us into a mechanization uh, rationale. As, uh, you know, is one better than the, than the other for you know mechanization as labor becomes more expensive and and more difficult to find. So. Um, um, I'm not, I mean, there must be something else that I've forgotten, but um, um, when one of the things that we've done is, um, is we'd like to maintain contact with students. We really, you know, from our academic days, we didn't want to leave the students, uh, the student contact behind. And so um, being involved in, in some of the programs at Linfield has been extreme. Oh, well, I, I, should, I should mention it was speaking of Linfield. We've been really very much involved with the microbiome project that Jeremy Wise is doing at Linfield and, and now is collaborating with a, uh, a faculty member at the University of Oregon. And, named Krista uh, McGuire. Um, one of the things that I always tell students in my previous days and here when I talk to them, uh, talk to the Linfield students who come here, uh, speaking of coming here, we don't have room for a classroom here. So what we do is we clean out the barn and, and uh, set up the chairs and uh, set up the screen and, and uh, put up the projector and we've got an instant classroom. And, and uh, uh, but one of the things that I always tell the students is to ask questions. Um, the most important question to ask is why. And so when Gene and I are doing stuff in the vineyard, the first thing we ask is, you know, why does that work? Why? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Um, what is the, is there a better way to do it? Why? Constantly say, you know, why? And so that's a, a part of what we do on a, well, if not a daily basis, certainly a, a project kind of basis in the vineyard. Um, I have a, what other research things that, that should I talk about? It's just a key part of, of the way we think about the vineyard um, when we talk about sustainability. Um, are there other ways to, are there better ways to farm? Are there ways that um, respect the ecosystem? Um, uh, what, what is happening with what we're doing now and are there, are there either, and, and so sustainability is, is a three-pronged three or a three, three-factor kind of thing. There's um, economic sustainability. I mean, if, if we can't afford it, you know, if we run out of money, then, you know, all the other sustainability goes away. Um, there is ecological sustainability, and, uh, and if you're not respecting the ecosystem, you're damaging, you know, damaging the earth, damaging the, you know, uh, so you're not sustainable in that regard if, if, you're, if you don't understand how, how to respect and protect the ecosystem. And, and, um, and if you, uh, and there's uh, social sustainability, uh, you know, we don't want to um, not only poison the water, but we also want to make sure that the people who work here are respected and, and, uh, and are protected as best we can. So there are three components, three major parts of sustainability, and they, they all enter into, into, um, into our, our decision-making processes. And I got at this by saying, you know, what do we tell the students when we're talking about sustainability? Um, constantly question what's going on. Constantly ask why uh, so that you... Uh, uh, so that all the things that that that, uh, that you know that um, all the opportunities uh, become explored and all of the problems become solved. Uh, you know, I'm, now I'm being I'm now I'm being wishful. You know, a lot of wishful thinking. Uh, there are an awful lot of problems we're, that we haven't solved yet, but um, or 
won't solve anytime soon, perhaps. But um, the question is, um, what are you doing and how are you doing it? And, and ask, always ask questions. So um, now, I'm, now I'm wandering into some philosophical realms here that, <laughs> that Gene's probably We should let him me. ask some questions. Yeah. That's, that's okay. Yeah. Where, do you, where else do you want to go? I'm curious, um, before we get back into that, I'm curious when you, what, your, what your knowledge of Oregon wine was before coming here. Had you had Oregon wine? Did you have any, any kind of comprehension of what it was? And what what you thought you were getting into, perhaps, versus what you actually were getting into when you came to Oregon? Um, well, okay, Jean, Jean will probably want to add to this. I'm, I know she will. Um, but the, the, we, we were aware of Oregon wine, um, but didn't know much about it. And so that, that week that we spent in the valley um, uh, exploring, uh, drinking, buying wine, we took enormous amounts of wine, well, cases of wine back to the East Coast with us, um, uh, we learned a lot very quickly. And one, one of the things that we learned, as Gene said uh, early on uh, in, this, in our discussion here today, was that uh, we learned that, uh, that there was a, a, a fascinating industry um, that was producing really, really, really high quality Pinot Noir. Um, and uh, and I, I keep emphasizing Pinot Noir not because uh, I think that's the only grape that Oregon grows. Um, I know it's not. Um, and we didn't really understand the, the, the quality, the depth of the quality of the Chardonnay that's grown here. Um, Pinot Gris you know, popped really pretty early on just because that was such a large component uh, in those days that now it's decreasing a bit. But, and we didn't really know anything about Southern Oregon and some of the warm weather grapes that are grown down there and, and we've learned about them s since. But mm -hmm. it was the quality of the Oregon wine that, 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 that we learned in August that took us, you know, in September to find a real estate agent to come out here and become part of it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it, it didn't take us long to see that that was a, a natural progression for us to take our avocation into a vocational kind of thing and and uh, and if you pardon me for saying it escaping from the pressures that you know that Gene and I both had you know had been dealing with as as money became tighter and tighter to for the scientific enterprise what mm -hmm. is that that's good <laughs> okay <All right>. excellent <laughs> all right what about the actual act of growing grapes and running a vineyard? What did you? Is it about what you expected it would be? Is it more? Is it less? Is it how is it different? Well, um, I, Jean grew up in a small town in western Pennsylvania, so she wasn't uh, maybe a farm girl. But um, I grew up way out in the country in Maryland, and so we we had a farm, and I was you know selling a small farm, uh, and so uh, growing stuff um, in those days was was sort of part of what I did. It didn't dawn on me that there was anything, you know, that, that people didn't grow stuff, you know. Um, and when I mean, you know, I, when, I, when I say that, my mother canned everything and, uh, and through, the, through the, the, the winter, we, you know, whether it's canned tomatoes or beans or limousines or, or tomato sauce or, or applesauce or whatever it was, you know, we, we, ate, it, we ate what we grew. Um, and so the concept of growing stuff was not so foreign to us. Um, and then as you know, when my, as you know, Jean and I got married and, and, and spent the summers, you know, in and out of my parents' uh, garden, um, mini farm, um, uh, I guess we, we got enough sense that, uh, yeah, growing was, was now it's really critical. You know, Lisa Neal's told us that growing grapes 
agriculture is a stylized thing and growing grapes, you know, you grow them a certain way because that's the way people have found that they grow. And Lisa Neal told us that we had to go to Chemeketa. I mean, she said it that way. We've got to go to Chemeketa. It wasn't voluntary. It wasn't, you know, something that we would, uh, that we, uh, you know, we would say, oh, well, maybe we'll try that. No, you are going to Chemeketa. Uh, and that's how we, you know, learn the, the depth of, of plant physiology and vine uh, of uh, um, uh, farm technology, farming, farm, agri um, viticultural technology, uh, farming, uh, how to farm grapes and how to manage grapes and, and what happens if you don't manage them and what happens if you don't um, uh, uh, pay attention to the pests that, uh, that, that are, are, are in the vineyard uh, that will, that will certainly take over your vineyard if you don't fight them. Uh, so all of that stuff, uh, I guess, you know, we spent, what, three, maybe four years at Chemeketa. Yeah. Um, well worth it. Well worth it, absolutely. Uh, the people who come here and, and do it um, because they, they just want to, you know, have a vineyard in their backyard um, are, are doomed to be... Um, uh, well, I don't want to say failures, but certainly, you know, they, they'll, they'll have to hire somebody to do it for them. Um, and we just, we didn't know, we knew we'd have to hire somebody to do all the, the, the handwork that we couldn't possibly do it all ourselves. And we weren't in, ever intending to, you know, to do all of that kind of, we just knew we couldn't possibly with 15, you know, with an acre maybe, mm -hmm. but with 15 acres, no. Um, and so for the first, um, you know, for, well, uh, less and less now, but um, for the first time, first part of our time here, I did all the tractor work myself. Now we're, you know, it's it, there are so many other things on our on our agenda on our plate that uh, we can't really can't do it. And first and second, it's um, it's physically exhausting. So um, we, you know, we have to hire now a managing management company to do a lot of that stuff for us. But um, I, uh, one of the the first class I took at Chemeketa was uh, a business class. You were taking the vineyard management class, and I took business. And I had to write a business plan. Here we are. We've been here less than a month. <laughs> and I'm right, trying to write a business plan. Yeah. But that was extraordinary. That was what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think I'm very excited to see that, you know, the wine program at Linfield will is focusing on the business as well because that was that was vital for us to to really understand uh, to be able to do all the enterprise analyses and so forth. So while you're there, let me come. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I'm going to derail your 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 program here. But um, uh, one of the things that got us so excited about uh, the concept of establishing a wine education program at Linfield was not because we thought that Linfield should compete with Chemeketa. It, it couldn't and shouldn't. Not that Linfield should compete with uh, our Oregon State. It couldn't and shouldn't. Those are vocational programs. But Gene and I are both the products of uh, liberal arts education. Um, and uh, And during the course of our careers, we've had three or four different phases for three or four different careers, depending on how you count them. And that couldn't be, wouldn't be possible if we hadn't had a liberal arts background that enabled us to move from one place to the other. I, I, um, even the students who are graduating from Linfield now probably 
don't really understand how lucky they will be as, you know, as their liberal arts education takes them into new fields. And so the idea of, of having a wine education program that's layered over, that's built, that has built in that liberal arts education is something that's very exciting to us. Um, somebody may come out and, uh, of, of the wine education program and think that they want to get into hospitality or, or winemaking or tasting room management or, or whatever. Um, but they'll, they'll have the skills because of the background and the, and the business uh, background to, to be able to move into any other parts of, that, of the wine industry or beyond. They may become journalists and write about wine or food or, you know, wine and food pairing. I mean, you name it, there are so many opportunities that, um, that the breadth of the wine education program with the liberal arts education overlay uh, will create. Um, and that's, that is really exciting and, 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 a, and, a, and a departure from the more vocationally oriented kind of programs that people think about. Um, uh, you know, when, when you say, oh, uh, I'm going I'm to study wine, I say, oh, you're going you're gonna to make wine or you're going to grow grapes. No. You're going to do whatever you want to do, but you have a background that will enable, will take you um, in, in one of those, in, in some pathway, if, if you want to stay in the wine industry, and if not, um, you know, you still have the, the, the breadth of your liberal arts education to take you somewhere else. And um, now I've, now I've, I'm, I've, that's, a that's bit of my, a commercial. That's my, uh, my commercial for, for Linfield. <laughs> we could have paid for a better one than that. So. <laughs> Tell me about, uh, as long as we're on the topic, tell me about Linfield as they were forming that program and, and, and input you had in that and, uh, and kind of your, your thoughts and guiding what Linfield Wine Education Program would look like. Well, I certainly, uh, Gene and I both certainly cheered Tom Helley on as he, uh, as he talked about that. Um, and we encouraged him very strongly and, and we saw the, the potential that I just described to you. Um, and I probably gave him the exact same lecture, not that he needed it. I'm sure he saw it well before I did, but um, um, and we knew actually one of the scientists that we met early on in our time here in in Oregon was uh, was Greg Jones, and so uh, when the idea of uh, recruiting Greg to uh, come to Oregon and uh, come to to the Willamette Valley and 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 put this uh, this uh, wine education program into a uh, into a practical functional. Um, framework at Linfield, um, we again cheered Tom on. Uh, yes, absolutely. And and um, the day before um, the day before um, uh, Greg started working at Linfield, before he actually you know became a faculty member, out on that porch back there, we had a big dinner party for him, and so uh, you know to welcome him to the valley. So we were. Um, we were in, uh, cheering, uh, cheering uh, Linfield on the entire time. Uh, a corollary of that was um, during the, during this time when the the concept of, of building the um, the wine education program was going on. There was also a lot of discussion um, going on at Linfield about building a new science building. And so, uh, because we had a lot of already established some connections with uh, with a bunch of the science faculty, and we're working, the students were coming here. Students, Linfield students, every year come here to. To, to do experiments in the vineyard, um, uh, several of the faculty, faculty members bring their their science classes here. Um, they come to talk about um, uh, microbiology in the vineyard and, and other sorts of things. And so, um, 
uh, we, we got to know the, the, um, the science programs at Linfield and we really were cheering on Linfield again in terms of building a new science program and so uh, we, we were involved in the planning committee, uh, the, you know, um, I'm not sure um, what more to say about that but uh, it was part of our, um, part, one of the things we were doing was, you know, was encouraging building the science programs. One of the things that um, is really important to me, uh, that, that having grown up in, in, a, uh, in, a, um, in the academic world uh, where there was a chemistry department and a biology department and a physics department and this department and that department was that I didn't like departments. I didn't like all those silos, all those discrete things. And I really, really like the idea of blending, blending the disciplines, you know, uh, making, figuring out how to make the chemists talk to the biologists and the biologists talk to the physicists and the physicists talk to the electrical engineering people or whatever, whatever it might be, uh, ways to break down the silos. And so um, Gene, Gene and my, Gene's and my message to the, the planning folks for the Linfield Science Building was uh, is uh, find ways to, to <coughs> blend, mix the departments. You can have a, you know, somebody, you can have a department of physics and you can have a department of chemistry, but put the scientists the, the faculty members uh, mix them in such a way that the students can't escape talking. You know, if you're a biology student, you can't escape talking to somebody who's in the chemistry department because they're all together. They're blended. They're um, the silos are are, are kind of mel melded uh, together, so to speak. Uh, um, that's maybe neither here nor there as far as we're concerned here, but um, that was one of the things that we learned. Jean was the chair of her board of trustees at her college, um, and uh, there we, uh, I was on a building committee to build a science building there. And Jean did build, Jean, when I say she built it, you know, well, she, it was while she was chair of the board. That, it occurred that, during, my, <laughs> during my time so on the we board. Had, we had some experience in building <laughs> science buildings. And actually, when uh, in the research institutes that I had, um, um, we built, <coughs> inherited it, inherited part of the, the, the research institute, but then we built a whole new science building, a whole new laboratory building to, to expand the institute. So, um, you know, it was kind of a thing that we, we got to know and, and see happening uh, at, at, uh, at a very, very intimate level um, um, on both in our, in our career and, and, and Jean's experience with her college and then seeing, we wanted to see that next level uh, uh, occur here at Linfield too. Gene, you're on the advisory board for Chemeco's wine program as well. Yes. Uh, tell me about that and about your experiences there and what kind of your, what you've seen. Uh, obviously, we do a lot of these interviews. We speak to a lot of people who run the Chemeco's program and are very happy with this. Tell me what Chemeco is doing and, and sort of what you're hoping it will it will look like in the future. Well, they're they have spent some time searching for faculty mm -hmm. recently, mm -hmm. and I think at this moment they're uh, getting very close to hiring someone to teach the viticulture. They have uh, a young, energetic person who's doing the uh, winemaking mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. So uh, um, I think it's, a, it, it's going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, the advisory group, <sighs> huge breadth of expertise in that group. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're lucky enough to have uh, a gentleman who does uh, sparkling, Andrew. Andrew Davis. Andrew Davis is a member of that group, and uh, 
And then you have some older people. <laughs> is, it all, is it all industry? Uh, yes, I think so. Well, yes, I think so. And there are some people from, uh, from the other campus. Mm -hmm. But it's a, it's a very, uh, uh, I mean, I learn a lot in, that, in those meetings. And I really appreciate um, uh, being involved um, because they're looking at uh, right at this moment they're looking at a, a viticulture track, which is kind of expansive. And but you have to do that now because uh, we're thinking about things like the microbiome that we didn't think about in 2006. No. That's only been all no. the right. research at Davis in no. 2012 and so forth that's, mm -hmm. that's led us to think about these other things. So uh, um, I'm very impressed with the program, mm -hmm. um, where it's going. And I, I like having the opportunity to give back because they gave me so much. I mean, so many of our friends and just so much knowledge, I would say. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and in fact, that touches on another major topic. I mean, so Gene's involved with the Chemeketa, and, we, and, we're, uh, and we're involved with a bunch of other things, uh, you know, again, along the lines of, of wanting to give back, wanting to, to you know, to contribute back to, to our industry. Um, um, I, I mentioned I was on the, the board for the wine board and the wine grower, Oregon, Oregon Wine Board and the Oregon Wine Growers Association. Uh, Gene and I have been very active in, in the, the Olamity Hills uh, AVA uh, group. Um, uh, uh, and we still are, for, you know, we were very active from the very beginning. It was formed in 2006. You know, the AVA was established in 2006. And so we got oh, here right. Yes. right at the time yeah. that all this was, you know, this was happening. And so we helped form the, uh, the, the, uh, the AVA uh, organization. Um, there is, there uh, grew out of a, uh, our time at Chemeketa, well, it didn't grow out of our time. There was, uh, for a lot of, for the people who were at Chemeketa, there was a, um, uh, a thing called the Willamette Valley Wine Growers uh, Group. You've talked to it. Mm -hmm. uh, you've spoken about Chemeketa there, about the, about the archive there, and we'll need to get you back again in this coming year to, to, uh, Good. to, to again, to keep people thinking about, uh, you know, protecting their, 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 their history. Um, um, and, uh, and so now I, I'm the program chair for that, and I've been running that for Two years, maybe. Three years, two years, I don't know, forgotten three already. Years. Three years, three years. Um, um, I still review grants um, for the, uh, for the um, uh, wine board. Uh, I re review grants for the uh, American Viticulture Foundation. Um, I'm on the, the board for the, uh, for the Agricultural Research Foundation, ARF, uh, at OSU, for the, um, that um, funds grants um, from a fund that uh, a, uh, OSU, is, uh, OSU has established. Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually have grants sitting for me on my computer right at this moment waiting for me to review those. Um, uh, I'm on the Oregon Wine, Gro Wine Advisory Board uh, for Greg Jones for, the, for that program. Um, uh, Gene and I have had um, the, a group called the Northwest, Northwest Bio, a bunch of uh, faculty members from, uh, to teach bio, biology at colleges throughout the Northwest. 
Um, and so we, oh, we bring, they visited those, bring those people here. Mm -hmm. um, Thanks to Chad, that was yeah, Chad Tilburg. Chad was, Chad, Chad, uh, was part yeah. of that, yeah. Uh, Chad um, Tilburg. Mm -hmm. um, uh, let's see. Um, I, you know, so whenever there's some opportunity to, to help um, help the industry advance, whether it's research or um, um, just communicate, uh, we, we've tried very hard to, to, to give back to what we felt we, you know, we were given when we came here. Uh, people were very generous with us. Talk about, let's talk about the wine board specifically for a second mm -hmm. and your work on the research group there. Uh, obviously, the wine board, Oregon wine board, uh, it, it's pushing a lot of things for the wine industry right now. And t tell me about your time on it. What were the biggest concerns? What were the biggest things people wanted? What were the biggest things you felt like uh, were were accomplished by the board? Mm. Oh, that's a very interesting thing. So, um, the wine board's function now, with the wine board per se. Now, we're not going to talk about the, uh, the the lobbying part, the Wine Growers Association, which is a whole other conversation. But the wine board's uh, function is really primarily um, research, and um, and uh, now there's about a half a million dollars that goes into research. When I started, it was about three hundred thousand uh, dollars. So we've we've in ramped it up a little bit. Still need a lot more to be to be uh, sure. Um, the uh, another function of the wine board is, is marketing grapes, uh, marketing wine, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and the wine board major concerns were how to build programs, um, wh and what the shape of those marketing programs should be. Should they be supporting direct to consumer marketing, or should they be supporting uh, marketing in in uh, offshore marketing, you know, Japan and China and other places, um, or should that should they be um, Helping, uh, helping grower, uh, wine, winery, uh, winemakers uh, uh, find distributors, dis distribution systems throughout the country. And so, um, I think the debate is still out about the most productive way to um, to uh, build the marketing programs. Uh, and but the, the wine board is, and the wine board is struggling with that. And, and every, the wine board members change. Um, I, I actually. Was on seven years, and that's most. Or in fact, I was probably the, the only person who ever served seven years on the wine board. Uh, most people serve six, and but but the point is that there's a turnover, and so every time there's a you know a new a new powerful voice coming on the wine board, um, uh, directions can can change and 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 maybe reflect uh, some of the uh, new directions in the industry, but uh, but also reflect um, the. Um, the interest of the, of the board members, um, uh, so that that happens in all of the uh, in all of the uh, components. Another one is um, um, another function of the wine board is uh, is education, and um, and every year there's a, a big educational symp symposium mm -hmm. to bring the latest uh, information in from research and marketing to to members of the industry. The um, Biggest concerns have varied um, from the time when I was on the board. The, the, the single major, the single largest concern uh, had to do with uh, land use issues and and uh, uh, and uh, things like that. Um, but we also have wrestled uh, when I was on the board with again uh, when I when I made a point of saying you know the the voices who are on the board you know uh, kind of can. 
set the agenda. Um, one of the things when I was on the board was um, we spent a lot of time talking about the value and the, and the need for research. Um, and so guess who was the big mouth you know, going at the time? It was, it was pretty much me. So um, uh, the, the board now is, uh, is struggling with uh, you know, a number of other issues. Uh, still the issue of marketing is, is, is going around and around. And, and I'm hoping at some point that um, I, I know that there have been connections from time to time between the business program at, um, at, at Linfield and, and the marketing programs. I'd love to see that be, uh, be strengthened. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I, I've lost touch with a lot of what's going on and on the board with regard to uh, uh, how they're how they're structuring and, and where they might go um, uh, in terms of uh, of the marketing programs. But I do know that um, that the marketing program on the board has taken a shall we say a lesson from the Vitneology side research side and and now um, and then now the uh, the board is funding. Um, Marketing research programs, um, including um, including um, um, uh, data data gathering and that kind of thing. So uh, um, there's a that's that's been a, a point of evolution that I'm very happy to see uh, take place uh, within the board. Um, uh, being off the board. Uh, it means I, I, you, you lose your connections, you lose your currency very quickly, um, and so staying involved in the research side, I, I, you know, I definitely wanted to keep that going. Um, <coughs> I've not been a um, a forceful uh, voice in in terms of marketing or anything like that uh, since I left the board. I left the board in sixteen. 2016. Okay. Um, so uh, my 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 currency now is really in the in the the, the fit, fit analogy research side of things. My discussion with Greg. Well, this you might not want to. In my discussion with Greg, as he was getting his <laughs> stuff, getting him his programs, uh, kind of mm -hmm. think thought through, was that Linfield needed to have a vineyard on its campus. Mm -hmm. And so, Greg and I talked at, talked about it, planned it out. Um, and I, I mobilized a bunch of uh, trellis materials and some, um, some, some plant material, and Greg got some plant material and, and got some other stuff donated, and, uh, and uh, voila. And uh, we got uh, all of the, the class, uh, the Greg's uh, uh, class there, and, and um, I, I filled my truck full of wire and, and, and tools and whatever and shovels, and, and uh, we pounded posts in and we put wires up and we planted grapes and I think it took us about three hours and three hours we had that that vineyard really all in place vineyard. and uh, and that's really exciting because uh, uh, you know to see that actually in in place on the vineyard uh, on uh, a vineyard on the campus and and it's right there for all to see and it's right in the if not quite exactly in the middle of the vineyard in the middle of the campus it's it's you know, uh, you, you can't avoid walking past it if you're going to the library or wherever you're going. You know, so we had I had students who worked for me who were also in that class. And oh, then, you know, I, I oh, see we were talking. About. This is it wasn't that hard planting a vineyard. <laughs> oh six, yeah, well, sixteen plants. Uh, yes. Yeah, well, but you know, um, uh, that's right. Okay, it's just a matter of scale. It's, you know, there's nothing nothing that we did there that was not the exact same thing we would do out here. Sure. And and seeing the students get involved and 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 
and really do it themselves. I mean, I was not doing it for them, believe me. And Greg, when Greg and I were there, and we were just saying, okay, here's what you do. Now, here, take, cut this wire, do this, do that, you know, and, and uh, they were doing it. They did it themselves. And I, I really was very, very pleased to see that kind of, uh, um, I mean, they were, they were working. I mean, they were not just standing around watching. They were actually pounding posts and, and uh, uh, digging holes and, and the whole thing. And so it was a, uh, it was a, a real student effort in, in every way. Um, uh, so now I think at uh, some time Greg and I and the class will go out there. Uh, I think we, I was talking to him, actually I saw him last night, and we're, we're, we have to go out and uh, um, prune the vines and, and plant the missing, plant the one vine that, that died that didn't make it through the summer and, uh, uh, and get, you know, get the get the, the vineyard in, 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 in shape for the coming year. Absolutely. It's still too young to produce any grapes, but, uh, and it will never produce enough to make wine, to be sure, but certainly enough to go out and taste, uh, you know, sure. taste the grapes and see what's going on. And see the various stages of mm -hmm. the so Gene, I want to back up for a second to, you mentioned you, you, you're barely in Oregon and you're actually not going to take, take a business classes and creating a business plan. So I'm curious, uh, with the initial decision not, not to do a winery, not to make wine, just to grow grapes, I'm curious about that initial business plan and, and how, how close it was to what you actually ended up doing and, 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 building, and building, this, building this brand uh, and, and finding grape buyers and, and all that. I'm just sort of curious, uh, how, how close to the mark was it? Well. And this, this was a great class. I projected that we would lose $30,000 the first year. And that was pretty close. My classmates would each stand up and say, oh, I'm going to make hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> each year. And it's like, ah, okay. You know? But it was, it was a good experience because we knew you know, it, it was going to take a while to get this place up and running. And sure enough, we lost at least 30000 <laughs> that first year. But, uh, but the thing that, that Jean put in her business plan, as a, as a matter of right, by, as a matter of law, we have, the, we have the right to build a, a winery here uh, because we have enough grapes and you know, there, there are some standards in the law. And we even have a place uh, where we could put a winery here if we wanted to do that. And, and if somebody bought this property at some point in the future and wanted to do that, because we have enough they grapes, they could do that. Yeah. Um, but Jean's business plan—I shouldn't speak for you—but Jean and analyze what it would cost to start up a winery. You know, we, we know that it costs to put a, to put an acre of grapes in uh, on bare ground. It costs about at, at, at least twenty-five thousand, and maybe a little more now because of. People are using better materials and so forth. Um, <clears throat> establishing a winery uh, and build a, putting a building in place and getting all the equipment was well beyond um, a, well, number one, to be sure, well beyond our means, but also well beyond um, um, a, any kind of amortization uh, that we could envision to, to actually make that be a debt-free operation. Mm -hmm. So it would entail a, a large amount of debt and, and thus uh, take a, a long, very long tra trajectory for, for, you know, for, for amortizing that, so. Um. Well, and, and so there was equipment here, uh, but they started- With the vineyard. With the vineyard, okay. Yeah. It was a very small sprayer. 
And when you start thinking about how long it took the guy to, he was going back to the barn continuously. And so we bought a larger sprayer. Well, guess what? The small tractor <laughs> couldn't manage the larger sprayer. So suddenly we're buying another tractor. I mean, it was just one thing after another that, uh, you know. We uh, learned by doing. Yes. <laughs> but now we have a nice tractor and a nice big sprayer. So he only goes back to the barn three times during the day. So, yeah. yeah. You mentioned the importance of, of building the brand and, and, and your pride in having a single vineyard Crawford Beck yeah. designate. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Tell me about relationships with buyers and, and, and how you were able to, to kind of find people who were the kind of buyers you were looking for and show them that you had the grapes they were looking for. Hmm. That's yours. Okay. <clears throat> well, during the course of our, our scientific career, we, we learned, I, I, I said that we, we spent a huge amount of time you know, writing grant applications. When I say we, now I'm talking about the royal we. Jean spent a huge amount of time writing grant applications because she was so good at it. I mean, she really was good at it. She, at one point, she had written grant applications uh, that, that were producing $8 million a year. So, so she was, she was a, a star in that, in that regard. But uh, as a result of that kind of experience, we knew that what you had to do was you had to sell yourself. It was always, it was always about selling yourself. It was always about um, making individual connections, whether it was between Gene as a principal investigator and the grant, and the grant granting agency, making, building that bridge. Um, and so um, we knew that kind of thing was essential for any, any kind of success that we wanted to have here. And so we also knew as we came, when we came into this vineyard, bought this vineyard, there was, um, there was one client who had been buying all of the grapes from this vineyard for that first 10 years until we bought it. It was planted in 96 and we took it over in 2006. So the, um, uh, we knew uh, Gene, you know, again, part of Gene's business plan analysis that we really didn't want to be entirely uh, dependent on one buyer. Mm -hmm. And so we, we needed, knew we needed to diversify. And so we, had, we immediately took that skill of, or uh, experience in, of selling yourself and started talking with people about, um, uh, you know, the great the attributes of this property and the great attributes of the vineyard. It's all about telling a story. It's all, all about telling, you know, when I talk to people when they come here, um, especially uh, if we were courting a new client, I talk about the flow of the lava and the rocks and why they're here and not over there. And, and you know, it's all about a story, whether it's a geological story or a micro terroir kind of story or whatever it is. And so um, we, you know, we, we diversified from one client to now we have five. Um, and uh, and I think that's about the right mix for this vineyard. It, it buffers us so that if um, if one year one client uh, and this has has happened, um, I will not tell any. I will not mention any names. But if one client um, can't afford to pay us right on time, we're not we're not at risk. Our our, our whole operation isn't at risk. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so it happens, you know, especially when the when the wine market is down a bit. Um, it, um, winemakers are dependent on the payments from their supply, their distributors, and and if the distributor isn't selling the wine and can't pay the winemaker, and the winemaker can't pay us, and so it, that, that's a 
that's a, um, a, a fact of life in the industry. Um, fortunately, it doesn't happen very often. But there are a, uh, a group of a coterie of, of lawyers who specialize in, uh, you know, in, in recovering uh, payments from people who, who don't pay. Mm -hmm. And because of the nature of the, the ag laws in Oregon, uh, producers of crops have, have a, an inherently favored position in terms of, uh, in terms of money being owed. Um, you know, we get paid before the bank gets paid. We get paid before, um, you know, as uh, you know, as as a crop producer, we get paid before anyone else, and uh, and so um, um, we can we have you know we 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 have a leveraged, shall we say, a nicely leveraged uh, position in terms of getting paid. But we have some, uh, on occasion had to had to go out and beat the bushes a little bit there. Uh, so that's that's only I tell you that only by way of saying that we, we you know being having a diversified uh, client base, mm -hmm. every every one of whom you know we you know we we, we have very close relationships with we talk to we um, um, in some cases they're actually really good friends of ours and and, uh, and that's always a danger you know you know what happens if your friend can't pay you um, you know but <laughs> but. Uh, uh, we we like our clients genuinely like our clients you know it's not an arm's length kind of uh, and I think one of the things that's interesting about this property so one clone that we have um, 115 we actually have a number of blocks of that and they're purchased by different buyers mm -hmm. and the wines are very different mm -hmm. even though you know, they're grown here on the same property, same weather, and so forth. That, to me, is what's yeah. always exciting. The uh, winemaker trumps <laughs> things. Right, well, yeah, I, that's, I tell, always tell that, <clears throat> probably to the consternation of faculty, Linfield faculty, but I always tell the faculty, the, the, Lin, the Linfield students who come here, is that we can talk about terroir, and I like to talk about terroir, and I like to talk about the components of terroir, but winemaker trumps terroir every time, every time. Um, so um, I, I take the, uh, the, uh, the notion of, of, oh, this is all about the sense of place. It is, but it's also about the sense of the winemaker's uh, take on the place too. So um, that's, that's perhaps my own prejudice that I've, I've learned in the, in the, the um, 14 vintages that we've been here. So let's talk about terroir, and you mentioned micro terroir on your site. Mm -hmm. so tell me, as you describe, if say I'm a new sell, I'm a new purchaser of your grapes, how would you describe the terroir of Crawford Beck to me? This is this terroir is um, is based on uh, volcanic soil. It's based on the lava flows that came uh, to this area from the um, uh, about 15 million years ago that began from uh, the super volcano over in uh, at. Um, uh, in Nevada, I think, and the, the lava you know, started flowing up through Idaho and Montana, and, and, and then as those pushes and shoves and the, and the huge amounts of uh, volcanic activity uh, began to uh, disrupt the, uh, the, the, what was then emerging as the, um, 
um, the uh, uh, Cascade uh, Mountain Range. Um, they started releasing their own lava flows and they got further and further. Some of the lava from that supervolcano that happened uh, you know, 15, 20 million years ago actually did make it all the way to what became the coast because this, the, the plate tectonics were pushing these hills up out, of the, uh, up out of the ground. And so before that lava flows happened 15 to 20 million years ago, this was all bottom of the ocean that had just been pushed up out of the ground. Things probably started to grow, but it looked otherwise pretty much like white sand, white sandy beaches that were up, now up, up, you know, pushed up out of the ocean. Um, and now if one imagines those white sandy, white bo ocean bottom flo uh, um, ground, now uh, newly emerged from the ocean, now being covered by the, vol the, the lava that's flowing from out there. I keep pushing that, pointing that way because they were, you know, from Mount St. Helens and, and, um, and, uh, and Mount, uh, all, the, all the volcanoes up through that range now are, are spewing lava and they, at different times. So they're coming in different, different from different directions, different amounts, different comp composition. Um, and and uh, as they're coming and flowing over, hitting these hills, these Eolamity Hills, which had been pushed up uh, during the uh, uh, the uh, pushing and shoving of the of the bulk of the um, tectonic plates, um, the lava hits the hills, gets to the top of this hill, and doesn't quite make it all the way over. And and again, different different flows at different times, but. Uh, the, you can see a clear demarcation out there where the um, lava flow got to the top of this hill, maybe over just a little bit, but on the other side on the, of the hill over there, didn't make it there. And so out there, um, the, that uh, ancient marine sediment, uh, which is what, what, it's, what it's called, the ancient marine sediment is still right at the surface. It's right there, just as it is over on the, the Willikensee soils on the other side of the valley, where the lavas didn't didn't get very very deep, or didn't get there at all. Um, uh, and so we have uh, on this side of the vineyard, we have some places where the, uh, the where the where the volcanic soil is is very very deep, uh, deeper than I can dig with anything any equipment that I've got here. Um, um, not still, not likely anywhere near as deep as it, as the volcanic soil is in, in areas like Dundee and and uh, and up in and, and Chehalem Hills and so forth, where where it's very very deep there, where you can't you can't find the bottom even you know even with big pile drivers and so forth, but here um, we have uh, nice volcanic soil over there, nice volcanic soil over here, and over and now from this side over you have shallow and in, in, in decreasingly, shall we say, shall we say, increasingly shallow uh, volcanic soil laying over top of the marine sediment, including by the time you get to the far side of this property, um, volcanic, the, the marine sediment is right at the surface. And I can put my, my shovel in the ground and I, I, don't need, I don't need a big backhoe to find the marine sediment, it's right over there. And so what that, uh, what you get then is soils with different Water holding capacity, different nutrients, um, uh, different um, uh, microbiomes, probably. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm, we're waiting for Jeremy to tell us more about that. Um, 
And so you, you get uh, throughout this vineyard also, um, because of the nature of the swale that comes right up through the, the central part of this property, and the swale points right straight across the valley at the uh, Van Duzer Pass, and so every afternoon at 3.30 or 4 o'clock, like, like clockwork in the summer, the breezes start to blow and come right up through here and, and cool off the vineyard, and um, that's all part of the um, the micro-terroir that this, that this property has. So in the center part, you have the breezes, you have the different depths of soil, you have the um, different aspects. Uh, most of the property is faces southwest, but some of it faces more west. Um, uh, some of it is, uh, is flat, like out in front, for example. Um, uh, and so they, all of these little quirks, whether it's difference in, in aspect, difference in soil, difference in, um, in um, water, water holding capacity, difference in, in uh, exposure to the, the, the cooling afternoon uh, Van Duzer breezes, um, create pockets of difference that each of these blocks of grapes um, express in the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the fruit that's produced. And, uh, and that really, winemakers love that kind of, uh, that kind of variation. Um, and because this is a, a site that's cooled by the Van Duzer breezes, uh, for a winemaker who has, you know, who wants to be, to buffer himself or herself from, um, from a warm year or a cool year, um, uh, then uh, having buying grapes from a, a vineyard like this is a really good part, an important part of a winemaker's portfolio. So in a cool year, you want to have grapes coming from a, a nice warm spot like Dundee. But in a, in a hot year, you might want to have grapes coming from a, a vineyard that's cooled because we're right exposed to the Van Duzer quarter, Van Duzer breezes that don't quite make it up to Dundee. You know, they, they, the breezes get through, but by the time they get up there, they're hot. Mm -hmm. When they come here, they're coming right or straight across the valley. I mean, you know, uh, in a few hours, um, you know, as the day goes on and the, and the onshore flow uh, and the offshore flow becomes an onshore flow. Um, those breezes make uh, are really critical to the characteristic of the of the grapes and thus the wine that's made from this property. Did I tell you that story? Is that yes. all? Or, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, I mean, Jean, James. Jean no, because the nights are you know uh, in September. Our nights are in the 40s, mm -hmm. and I think that's the reason yeah. we have acids. Oh, I even. Jean talks about it in terms of acids and and that kind of thing. So uh, yeah, I look at the pH and and then look at. The 30 days before harvest, what's what's been the average temperature? And I love plotting stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, you mentioned uh, a project with George Fox that you were excited about that you mentioned yeah. earlier. Uh, we, we talked briefly about the various collaborations, scientific collaborations, and there's right. one that Gene and I have been, both of us, really uh, involved in. We're on this little committee at George Fox um, uh, and the George Fox engineering students. And when I and say the computer science, to pardon me? the engineering and the computer well, science. Yeah, so in, in the, uh, among the, the, the d disciplines at George Fox, there's the, the um, mechanical engineers, there's the computer science guys, there's the, um, um, there are some electrical engineers. Uh, I'm missing something. There's a different group uh, all getting together to solve a problem that is a really serious one for us. Now, when I say a serious problem, I mean it's a serious. It's not 
something like a disease. But, but one of the things we have to know that we have to tell our, we have to be able to give, uh, tell our, um, our uh, clients about, uh, and, and with some accuracy, is how much fruit is actually, what's the crop load, what's hanging out there. Uh, they need to know because they, they want to know, first of all, is there too much for, uh, in terms of what they want to have ripen on the, on the vines? But also, they, they want to know how much is going to come into their, into their winery. Um, can, they, can they accommodate it? Is it enough or is it not enough? Mm -hmm. uh, and so they need to know what's hanging out there. And so Gene and I go out and we measure the crop load by, um, and this is the way everybody does it. Some people do it more by eyeballing it, but, uh, but we actually go out and count and weigh and, and, uh, and, and do calculations um, about what's hanging out there. Um, wouldn't it be nice? if there were some way to mechanize that and make it much more inherently accurate. Mm -hmm. And so what the Linfield, uh, sorry, but what the uh, George Fox uh, engineering uh, guys, students are doing, uh, they're, they're not all guys, in fact most of them, the best of them are, are women, I should tell you. Um, uh, what they're doing is uh, trying to build a robot that will go up and down the rows, that will image the grapes that are hanging on those vines, and, and do some kind of a um, when when Gene and I are doing it, we sort of we sort of uh, say, okay, we sample here and here and here and here, and then multiply by a, a very large number, and so you have a very large error rate. With a robot, it can go up and down the row, measure a lot of grapes in a lot of rows, if not every grape or every cluster of grapes in every row, because if it's a robot, you just, go, you just turn it on and let it go, you know? Um, and so they've been doing this now for a couple of years. We've been on this, this little advisory committee. And this, this year, for the first time, they actually um, have been uh, trying to do a proof of proof of um, concept kind of thing. They had, um, they had a, a, a student come out the entire time uh, the, the entire summer, once a week, and take pictures of every single vine in one of the blocks of grapes. Um, and uh, we, you know, we worked with our client who owns, who buys those grapes. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, this is Winderly buys gra buys the grapes. Our client, uh, I mean, our manager um, uh, is Sterling Fox, who um, who knows is a friend of the dean of the of the engineering school, and so. All of these people got together to design and figure out how we're going to make this project happen, uh, and then how we're going to get get it take it through not only from uh, the summer phase but all the way up through through harvest, mm -hmm. and so that in, that involved you know cooperation with the the vineyard manager with a with our client. Um, and and Gene and, and I out there, you know, helping doing whatever we can throughout this whole process, and it's wonderful. Uh, um, you know, will they will they get to a point where they've got a a, a viable robot to uh, to do this? Well, I don't know, but I sure hope so. Oh, but, definitely. But if not, <laughs> sooner rather than not, later. The worst thing that has happened that will have happened is that we help students, uh, you know. Uh, formulate a project and 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 bring that project through through tuition. So, we're 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 uh, winners because we like the student part of it. Um, the students are part are winners because they get access to a vineyard that wants to cooperate. Um, that they have you know a commercial production vineyard that they have uh, they can they can play in basically. And uh, and of course the industry uh, uh, is uh, it wins if, if they produce a robot that actually is you know actually can do what we all want it to do. That, that, yeah. um, 
Do I leave any of that out? I mean, that's, no. Yeah, so now Gene and I are, are anxiously awaiting the, uh, the first... In two weeks. In we, two weeks. We uh, get to hear their results. We hear their, results. First, their first assessment of, of the, the work for this year. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. I'm not expecting to go in and walk in and see a, a robot that's, that that has you know, but but we're we're expecting to see you know, it's you know the, every year there's a you know a class of students that take this on as a project mm -hmm. and and they keep moving it up. Mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've we've talked about uh, you guys. Let's talk about the industry a little bit more in general now. Uh, Obviously, you, you said four, 14 harvests. You've 14 been, harvests for us, yes. So we, that's how we, we, we don't say years. We, we talk about vintages. Exactly. Actually, you say 14 vintages. 14 vintages, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me about the changes you've seen in, in Oregon and what, what Oregon wine looks like today at the end of 2019. Oh. Well, uh, when we first came here, I, I emphasized this very strongly in our, earlier in our conversation this afternoon. Um, um, I emphasized how cooperative and collaborative the, the industry was for us, how how important that uh, that connect connectivity. Uh, I could go up. Gene and I would go up to some of the you know the grand old men, the old grand old you know progenitors of the industry, and say, "Can you help us with this? I need to talk to you about that. Um, what happens if we do the following, or what happens if we don't? You know, how do we fight this disease and so forth?" And they'd tell us everything, whatever that we wanted to know. And I have no no reason to think that that wouldn't happen now if I you know if I went up to somebody like uh, a David Adelsheim or a Harry Peterson Nedry, Nedry and ask a, you know some uh, various questions, but <clears throat> one of the things that we've seen, and and it may not necessarily be all bad, but one of the things that we've seen and that happened very very decidedly in the time that we've been here is. Um, um, just as we came as a mom and pop operation, now corporations are coming in to buy buy land that has proven its value, has proven its ability to produce um, very high um, high value grapes. Um, we've seen folks from uh, increasingly from um, California to the south and Washington to the north and. France to the Far East, or you know, um, and and uh, and folks from all over the area coming from uh, coming to buy grapes and bring in a, a more corporate, larger operation. It used to be, um, and Jean can address this because she's she's the uh, the data person here. But um, it used to be um, when we first came here that a 15-acre vineyard, like the one we bought, was the median-sized vineyard in Oregon. That is, half of them were larger and half of them were smaller. Now we think that that, that size That's is- That's changed. Has ja yeah. definitely changed. Uh, and, and the reason is that median-sized vineyard is now much larger than this. It's probably over 20 or maybe more acres than that. Uh, it's, hard, it's hard to get those 30. Well, if you look at the number of vineyards, from, from the survey in 2018, if you look at the number of vineyards, and the number of acres, planted acres, it's about 30 acres per vineyard, yeah, okay. uh, whereas before. Okay. The, it's hard to get these kind of data really accurately, um, and so Gene is probably probably has the best data, you know, the best interpretation of the data that anybody. Well, but you have to realize not everybody fills out those surveys. Right. It's, That's it's self-reporting, and not everyone will take the time to fill out surveys. Um, the point of saying all this is that um, is that um, the, the the nature of the of of, of farming of farming grapes is is moving to larger and larger operations. Um, 
and I fewer think. and fewer of the mom and pop kind of gene and gene and I were you know we're mom and pop I mean and we're classic or grandma and grandpa grandma and grandpa grandma and grandpa or something like that but you get the idea um, they're um, more and more are uh, owned by some out of you know it may be even as far away as Australia or uh, you know I mean there there are um, there are corporate um, um, interests that, that determine uh, what happens in the vineyard, how, what can get spent, um, what, you know, whether you make a, are you, uh, you know, is, is the goal to make a $20 bottle of wine or, in our case, most of the wine that comes from this vineyard goes into 50 or $60 bottles of wine. Mm -hmm. um, that shift to, uh, to a corporate, um, a corporate backdrop is, um, is, is definitely palpable, if not if not, I'm, I'm not even. I'm not going to suggest negatively so because you know some of the corporate people we know and we like. It's just that there is you know the, the control is not local anymore. It's it's from somewhere else. It's you know it's from somebody else who's who's got the ownership uh, interest. But also, uh, mm -hmm. you and I talked about this. The emphasis now on Chardonnay. Mm -hmm. We're now having Chardonnay symposia. Yeah. And then sparkling. You know this is. This is new. Two very, very key things. Yeah. Um, and what they do, uh, what those two things, let me just, let me just uh, back up. Mm -hmm. One of the limited, so Oregon contributes about 1% of the amount of, of wine produced, give or take, uh, in this country. 1%. Not very much. Not very much. And we're a distant uh, third behind, uh, behind Washington and California. And maybe we're not even third. We might even, depending on how you exactly how you what the numbers are, we might even be fourth behind New York. Uh, so the point is, we have limitations here. Is and the limitation isn't really land yet. Uh, like places like California, the limitation is land. I mean, it's, it's built up. It's it's planted out, pretty much. Um, <clears throat> but um, what uh, what the limitation might actually be is that even if we could grow more grapes, and we are growing more grapes, and we're actually producing more grapes in this vineyard than we did when we first bought it because people are willing to crop it a little bit more heavily. Um, there isn't enough winery space. There aren't enough places to make wine. And, uh, and this comes to whether it's Pinot or Chardonnay, but especially when Jean's, Jean's point about sparkling wine is right on. Um, <clears throat> the sparkling wine that's being made in Oregon right now is actually knockout gorgeous. Uh, it is really wonderful. And from this vineyard, there have been two sparkling wines, uh, one made by Winderley and one made by Adelsheim. And both of them are, are just lovely wines. But the capacity for the industry to make sparkling wine is actually, we were at the capacity. You, uh, you know, the, the guy who's on on the uh, the, the board with Gene, uh, Andy Davis, um, he uh, he can take no more clients. There is no more capacity for making sparkling wine right now, and so people are actually making um, knockoff sparkling wines, meaning you know, just gassing bottles of Chardonnay and putting a crown cork on it. It's not exactly sparkling sparkling wine, but but that's you know that, that's sort of the the fallback for you know not being able to find enough capacity to make um, Métaux Champenoise wine. So. Um, we're we're seeing that that limitation. We we're seeing the industry kind of hit a uh, hit a ceiling that it hasn't quite figured out how to burst through yet. Um, 
I hope the answer is not finding you know out-of-state investors to build more wineries, but maybe that's what we need. Maybe that's the way to get to get above our one percent. Um, but the industry hmm. has clearly expanded into those oh, without question. focusing more on Chardonnay sure. and, and sparkling sure. and less on Gris, uh, Pinot Gris. I mean, you can you can see that you know the absolute gorgeous um, wineries that have been built, like uh, Domaine Roy and, and Resonance and so forth. Um, those those are and, and, and Domaine Serene. I mean, those are wineries that that are built with huge amounts of money that have come from outside the area. They didn't come from money that was that came organically from the industry where, you know, uh, gee, I've got an extra money this year, I'm going to put that into, uh, into a, no, not, you know, it comes from money who come in, pe from, from people with money who come in from the outside who can put five or ten million into uh, building a winery, um, building a fancy tasting room, building an enterprise, and uh, that's, the, that's the change that I see, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say at the outset, I'm not saying that it's bad, but it's happening, mm -hmm. uh, and it's different. So what happens next? What do you see for the next 10 years of Oregon wine? I think that what I just said that's happening is going to continue to happen, and, and, uh, and, and everyone who comes here knows that the quality of the fruit, the quality of the terroir that's here in, in, in certainly in, in uh, the Willamette Valley in southern Oregon, and, and as we know more about what's going on in eastern Oregon, and maybe even far eastern Oregon, um, Snake River and all that kind of, uh, that, that area, uh, as those places become more and more exposed for their quality um, attributes, um, there'll be more and more people who will come and make the investment. Um, uh, well, and, yeah, go ahead. So this is a little off track, but the latest wine spectator, the 100, <coughs> 100 wines yeah. uh, for this year, I think there were five from Oregon. Mm -hmm. oh, I thought that was fantastic. That, that's, that's recognition that uh, you know people can't yeah. miss. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. um, given that we're only 1% or whatever. <laughs> well, the other thing that's also going to drive people to Oregon, and, uh, and I'm now not a, a doom and gloom person, but as climate change, it, which is, in fact, very real, uh, as that include, it continues to, um, I just want to make that clear on the record that I believe in, uh, that climate change is happening. Um, as, that, as that changes the nature of the grapes that can be grown in California, or lots of other places, uh, Burgundy, Germany, Champagne is champ Champagne. They're, they're now talking about growing, growing warm weather grapes in Champagne, and England is now growing cool weather grapes that used to be grown in Champagne. Now England is becoming a home for sparkling wine. Um, as that happens, people will discover that there are still places in Oregon that where the temperature is moderated, uh, like it used to be in California, in the Russian River Valley, and, and uh, you know, all by the coast, coast the, the northern California coast ranges, that they're going to, to find that kind of environment, they're going to have to come to Oregon. And um, <clears throat> I think that will be a, a good thing for the growth of the industry, if that's, you know, if, if the growth of the industry is a good thing. Um, I just, you know, I like I like the smallness. I, I like the the the, the similar. Gene, one of the things when we we've as we've learned to uh, as we 
have um, followed Pinot Noir, we've learned a lot about Burgundy, and Burgundy is really a small operation there. It's a um, mom-and-pop sort of operation, not like the Loire Valley or, the, or, or um, um, like um, um, uh, California, where they're you know, inherently large operations. Um, um, and so if, you know, if we want to move away from the mom-and-pop operations, then maybe that's going to happen, so I don't know. Um, but the quality is clearly there. Quality is clearly here. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. The, yes. The quality is there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what have we left out? What about for you two? What's next for the two of you? Hmm. What, do you what do you want? What are you hoping? With, with this um, I hope to die in the tractor on the vineyard. You know, that's not the first time we've heard that doing one of these interviews. No, that's that's our goal. <laughs> it's a very, it's a noble we, goal. Well, we don't want to leave. Let's just say that. Well, we so don't we, intend to leave. So we go. So I, I will tell you. So you're you're sitting in the house and you can look out the windows. Every window in this house looks out on the vineyard. And we didn't build it. This, and, the uh, gentleman who planted the vineyard built this yeah, house. So. And um, and the the house is entirely on one floor, so we don't yes. have any issues of getting around <laughs> up and down you know up and down the um, you know stairs or anything like that. Um, uh, we're we're set. We want this is where we want to live. This is where we want to be. Oh. And uh, if, we, if we if I can't get in if I couldn't get out in the vineyard, um, then yeah. I well leave well, it that. <laughs> mentally and physically challenged. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that you and I had talked about we did not cover though is the um, the oak restoration. Oh yes yes yes. A key in part, you know, we talked about this being a giant philosophy. laboratory for us. Yes, back to the philosophy yeah. part. Um, our philosophy is that um, uh, we want this, the entire farm. It's a 50-acre farm, and we, and we I keep talking about 15. And we actually have 16 acres of, of grapes out there. Um, but the entire farm is an integrated ecosystem, uh, as far as I'm concerned, and we see it that way. And uh, there are about, on the, on the, on the farm, uh, the, the 16 acres of grapes are kind of scattered around, but there's one section that's sort of up, up the hill, and, they, and the hill kind of gets steep. Um, and that area is about 10 acres, and um, it's full of uh, uh, old oaks, and uh, um, We've been working over the past, um, how long, eight years? Yeah, it's quite a long time. A long time. Clearing out the invasive species, the uh, uh, non-native invasive species. I'm going to start with those, like, like scotch broom and, and uh, blackberry. Um, and then the native invasive species, uh, things that, that we just don't want growing there. To, what our goal is to, uh, is to create a, an upland oak habitat and restore it. And so you, you, people will say, an upland oak habitat restoration. What restoration, what does that mean? We want to restore it to what it might have looked like for the first native peoples who came through here 15,000 years ago. So right after the Ice Age, the, the glaciers have melted and people started coming down through here on their way down to South America or wherever they went. Um, and they would have seen an area that had lots of oaks, 
some firs, but most of in, in those days that this was still pretty dry, and, and most of the firs were all over along the coast. Now we've left some firs in this oak restoration, but uh, and and other native species, uh, things like um, snowberry and um, and um, uh, come on, what's the uh, ocean? Ocean spray, ocean spray, ocean yeah. spray, and some of these these native species that would have been here fifteen thousand years ago, and one of the things that would have been here was uh, milkweed. Mm -hmm. uh, where do you know you know about the milkweed and the and the monarch butterflies that mi that migrate you know huge distances thousands of miles down to Mexico? Well, the milkweed that those butterflies live on, breed on, and feed on. Um, isn't around anymore, and so in this oak restoration, we now have a um, uh, a, a plot of milkweed that we've been planting and, and nursing, nurturing, and trying to get and measuring. To grow. And and again, <laughs> back to the data, do we do we measure it? We you know we measure uh, you know we go out and, and uh, follow the, the 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 health of the of those milkweed plants. Um, Gene's um, got massive spreadsheets with all the data for the, you know, what there's, uh, you know, yeah. what's going on, to, uh, what's going on with that. So um, it's a part of our philosophy. It's a part of the way we manage, whether it's grapes or milkweed or the oak restoration. Um, well, and the, the USDA and Fish and Wildlife uh, yes. have been wonderful mm -hmm. to us. Uh, they helped us restore. And then they came in with seeds. Gene wrote some grants. Yeah, Fish and Wildlife has—they've given us a lot of native seeds, and uh, they come and um, check to see are they growing, and that's fun because you get to see. Oh yeah, that one's made it. That one didn't. Mm, well, and then he brings more, and it's—it's yeah. it's fantastic. It's yeah. been great working with uh, Fish and Wildlife yeah. and USDA. Yeah. So that's that's a uh, you know a, a kind of a special project. A special project, yeah. And and we and it's something that when, whenever we have people and we're standing outside on the on the back porch looking out, I, the first thing we point to is that oak restoration because it's oh the lupins. It's something we do not because there's any any revenue in it whatsoever. It's something we do because it's the right thing to do. But there's beauty. Yeah, and there's the beauty. lupins. <laughs> yes, yeah. in the spring. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, the, the one thing that we always said from the first time we we set foot in um, in in Oregon was that this is a this is a land of a thousand shades of green, and uh, and so you know agriculture, as I said earlier, is a stylized kind of thing, and and it's 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 a monoculture and it's uniform. But when you have something like that oak restoration, you have all these different shades of green, and the oaks are different from the firs, and every and the maples are different. I mean, everything is different. The cherries, and you name it, it's um, it's it's it's. We can look out there, and we can see those thousand shades of green. You know, right right here. You know, it's, it's fun to watch it exp uh, ex um, watch it grow, and. Um, because a lot of this property is facing west as the sun sets, especially in the late summer when the, you know, when the, when the sun rays are coming here almost horizontal to the ground, you, 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 you get a kind of light that sort of fills this little valley here, this little micro terroir here that we have. That's um, you can't capture it on the camera. I've tried. I've tried. You, and there are, and, and, and every rainstorm that comes through, every one, uh, you know, I was never used to this, but we can, we, you know, ra rainbows are now just, ah, there's a rainbow, okay. There's a double rainbow. Oh, triple rainbow. 
but you can't capture those. I can't capture those on my camera. I just don't know how to do it. But the light here is absolutely gorgeous. It's all kinds of colors. So, you know, there's a, there's a huge uh, aesthetic uh, thing here that's going on as well. What have I left out? I have just one more question for you. Uh-oh. So, the, the most important question of all. So what is the secret to a successful marriage in the Oregon wine industry? How do you work together as a married couple? Oh, well, we have very different uh, skills. Yeah, we do. I do QuickBooks because <laughs> I love numbers. Or, or Excel. Um, and he does the, the tractor work, or did yeah. the tractor work. Yeah, Jean's a, uh, a tree and leaf person, and I'm a forest person. Yes, that's um, uh, perfect. Gene wants, Gene wants data, and I'm, I'm comfortable with BS. <laughs> um, You've just ruined the whole interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are as different as we could be. Um, but 53 years. Except for years. one thing. We like wine. Oh, yes. Right. Pinot. Pinot, yeah. Pinot is our yeah. grape. Yeah. But I let Gene pick the wine, so you know I don't. We don't get into fights about what we're having. You know. <laughs> I say, yes, dear, whatever you want. <laughs> as long as it's Pinot. As long as it's Pinot. <laughs> yeah. I think there isn't really a secret. It's that um, we have we have goals that uh, you know that we're both we both have bought into. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, we each have and, different skill sets. Yeah. You're right. Tree versus forest. <laughs> Leaves. No, let's get to leaves, leaves versus forest. Individual veins on the leaves. Probably. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, congratulations on, on 53 years of yeah. having this together. Yeah. This, is, this is truly incredible to hear what you have. So, uh, is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover or that we should have covered? No, I think we've. We've spilled our beans, um, <laughs> but uh, if anything occurs to us, um, we will certainly let you know. And I definitely um, will, as we um, as we need to make room for more stuff. Um, that's a fact of life. No matter what you do, uh, we will be providing the uh, archives with a lot of uh, the first stuff. Will be some of the, like I said, the things from uh, the wine board. Uh, well, things from the wine board. Mm -hmm. But also, uh, there is there are boxes of, of stuff about what we've done here in the old Amity Hills, um, uh, that that shows not it's not about us so much as it is reflections about what other people were doing at the time and who was doing what when in in this area. So, uh, um, you know, if, some, if somebody wants to be wants to mine that information, uh, looking for you know, um, who were the new people, uh, or who were the new, how many of the new winemakers were women as they came on? And we're seeing that, that's another trend I should have mentioned. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, about the, uh, the, the quality of the wine that's being made by women. Is the, the quality of the wine isn't going up, and it's part of it, a lot of it has to do with the fact that um, uh, there, are, there, there, are, um, uh, there are new people with new sensitivities, new sensibilities, I, I think is the right word. Uh, coming along and, and those that's a lot of them are, are women uh, who are getting into this industry um, so that you know there'll be a lot of that kind of, of information and and if somebody ever wants to do a, a, a history of the research that was done here um, at least in the you know in the uh, the late 
two thousands and the uh, and in, uh, certainly into the teens. Um, um, that's there, and if I can stay involved, you'll have even more. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we'll look forward to that. Well, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Shelby. And we the lady behind the camera there. <laughs> and we will let you both off the hook now. Okay. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.